Today, I cannot wait to share this message with you. If you're new, normally we teach in series at our church, but throughout the year, I reserve just a few Sundays to share with you the things that God is using to encourage me. And this is one of those things. For the last few months now, I've been studying in scripture what it looks like to walk more in the anointing. Now, if you don't know what the anointing is, uh, what I'll tell you is the, the term anointing, is, it's used throughout the Bible, starting in Genesis, all the way in Revelation, you see it. The, the term anointing in scripture is really used to talk about whenever oil is poured out or put on someone or something. That's literally what it means. However, whenever you see anointing in scripture, what you need to know is that it is a powerful symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit. For example, Jesus, when he began his ministry, Luke chapter four, he gets up, goes to the synagogue, unrolls the scroll, reads from the book of the prophet Isaiah. This is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. It's this picture of being chosen by God, God's spirit coming on you with power for what purpose? Well, he talks about it. He says to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what the anointing does. When it, it comes on you, when it comes in the room, it's good news. It brings freedom. It brings deliverance. It, it sets people free. James would write about it in his epistle to the church. He said in James chapter 5, said, is anybody among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and then anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. This is what he said. And the prayer offered in faith will save the sick person, make them well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. I'm just wanting you to see that when you see the anointing in scripture, it involves the power of God. So if you want God's power in your life, then you want God's anointing on your life. Does that make sense? Now, those are some New Testament scriptures. It's also in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, what we see whenever we hear about, read about, look at the anointing is that it was used to, to set apart individuals for God's purpose. Kings, prophets, priests, they were all anointed with oil to symbolize the spirit of the Lord coming upon them with power and authority. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, where I told you to, to get to in your Bibles, this is, we're gonna look at, we're, we're gonna see a picture of this process. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we'll put the words on the screen so we can follow along together. And also you can always download a free Bible on your phone. It's what I use lots of times. Uh, at Bible.com. It's an easy way to engage with God's word. But 1 Samuel 16, I'm going to start in verse 1. Let's look at this together. It's a lot of scripture. The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel was a prophet. He says, how long will you mourn for Saul? Saul was the king at the time, the first king of Israel. Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil 
and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. He arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. It was a big deal when the prophet shows up at your town. They asked, do you come in peace? They thought like, you know, what's going to happen? He's going to prophesy something that I don't want. He said, yes, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shammah pass. I thought surely it'd be Shammah. That just sounds spiritual. Shammah. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest. I didn't really think he was that important. I left him out in the field. You don't really want him. He's tending sheep. But Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, had him brought in. He was glowing with health, had a fine appearance, handsome features. Looked like Pastor Jacob. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. I like that last part. After he was anointed, it's very practical, tangible, oil poured on his head. It was after that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. You just think about this. How many of you want God's help to do what you're called to do? I would just frame it a little different. How, how many of you would like the help of the Holy Spirit to do just what you need to do? Anybody? Just raise your hand. Yeah, we, we want that. Well, if you want God's help, if you want God's power, what you want is the anointing. You want the anointing in your life. Now, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, but he's also the most misunderstood person at church. Many times, because we don't understand the Holy Spirit, we don't recognize the Holy Spirit in our life. But I want you to understand if you're a Christian, he's our advocate. He's our ally. He's our friend. He's our counselor. He's our comforter. And one of the most important things you can do as you are walking with God, as you are growing with God, as you are on your faith journey, is to learn to recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, to learn to acknowledge him. For example, when your conscience starts speaking to you and it says, don't do that, don't go there, you shouldn't have done that, understand that is not just your conscience. That's the Holy Spirit. The next time 
you find some courage in a moment where you should be fearful, recognize that that's not because you read some inspirational quote on Instagram. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. When you have a moment of clarity in the midst of confusion, it's not because you took your vitamins that day. That's the Holy Spirit. Okay? He's the one who's leading us. He's the one who's guiding us. And when we're in a season of reformation and revival, I thought we need to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit today. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his anointing. That's what we're going to look at. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we get a glimpse of David in his coronation moment. And what I like about this picture is that we see the way that the Holy Spirit participates in turning this shepherd boy into a king. And it begins with an instruction. The Lord says to Samuel, he says, grab your oil, get on your way. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. And that's the first thing I want to point out to you is that the anointing comes from God. The anointing is not your gift. You might be gifted. You might be talented. You might have some natural strengths. That's not the anointing. You might be charismatic. You might have some skills, but that's not the anointing. The, the, it's different than your gifting. The anointing is not something you can manufacture. The anointing comes from God. It's unmistakable. When you experience it, you know it. There's a story in John chapter 12. It's actually in all the gospels, but John chapter 12 talks about it, where this woman, Mary Magdalene, she goes into where Jesus is eating, breaks this jar of nard. Nard was a fragrant oil. Breaks this jar of nard, breaks it open, anoints Jesus' feet. It said that the fragrance of the oil filled the room. Jesus was the only one who was anointed, but everybody in the room was experiencing it. Everybody could sense it. That's the anointing. Sometimes you might say, oh, well, that person's really anointed. What we mean is they're really gifted. The anointing's different. There's a difference between singing and anointed singing. There's a difference between preaching and anointed preaching. There's a difference between a church service and an anointed church service. What I'm trying to help you see, it's not just that the anointing is not just for church. You might have some gifts, but the anointing can come on your gifts and it is for your calling and it will make you more fruitful and more productive. Regardless of who you are, you want the anointing in your life. It's not just if you're a preacher, you could be a professor. It doesn't matter if, you if you're a doctor or you're an athlete. It doesn't matter if you're in the boardroom or the classroom. If you want to be more effective in your life, you want the anointing in your life. All of us want to be effective. All of us want to excel. But if you really want to be effective and excel, it's not just you need more wisdom. It's not just you need more skills. It's not just you need to develop your abilities. No, what you need is to discover God's anointing. It's the difference maker in your destiny. What you need isn't more development. What you need is more empowerment. And that's exactly what we see with David. David was not the first one in line. David was not the most. And it was the anointing that equipped him for kingship. Let's look at verse 6 again. It says, when they arrived, 
Samuel saw Eliab and thought, man, Eliab had me at hello. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. In other words, notice there are some things that God won't anoint. God is looking at things that not everybody else is looking. People, they're looking at what they can see. Man, that person has the riz. They've got the stuff. They've got it. God says, no, there's some things that I won't anoint, but there are some things that I am looking at. They're things of the heart. Man, wouldn't it be nice to know the things that God is looking at in order to know what it is he's going to anoint? How many of you would like to know that? Well, you're in luck because I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. First Samuel is not the first time we learn about the anointing. If we want to find out more, we need to look back in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 30, God is giving his people instructions on what they need to do in order to honor him, what they need to do in order to live a life worthy of the place that he is taking them into, the promised land. And so he's giving them lots of instructions, but in Exodus 30 in particular, he is talking to them about things that are holy and things that need to be set apart. And he gives some specific instructions on anointing. In fact, this is the first time we learn specifically about this anointing oil that has been put on people for God's purpose and places. And it's in Exodus 3, starting in verse 23, this is what it says. God spoke to Moses. He said, take the best spices, 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh, half that much, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cane, 12 and a half pounds of cassia, using the standard sanctuary weight for all of them, and a gallon of olive oil. Make these into a holy anointing oil, a perfumer's skillful blend. These are God's ingredients for the anointing. Five different ingredients that they were supposed to use for the people and places God had selected for his purpose. It had to have five specific ingredients. And if you want to live an anointed life, you need these ingredients in your life. And I want to talk to you today about the ingredients for an anointed life. There's five of them. He begins by saying this, that the first thing you got to put in this anointing oil is a spice called myrrh. Now myrrh, we're kind of familiar with it because we remember that that's one of the gifts that the wise men gave when Jesus was born. I'll tell you a little bit about myrrh though. Myrrh is a fragrance that comes from the sap of a tree. It's called a camphora tree. And the way that they would gather this sap is there were incisions made into this tree, sometimes natural, sometimes not, that as these 
incisions were made, this reddish brown resin would begin to seep from the tree. And as it's extracted, it then hardens and it can be collected. But the way they had to collect this myrrh is interesting because I said that sometimes these incisions were naturally formed, but many times they were intentionally formed. The tree had to first be wounded. And the reason they would wound this tree with these cuts, with these incisions, is because they wanted to get the most out of it. In fact, the professionals who did this, they called these wounds, these incisions, tear ducts, because as the resin would seep out, it would form the shape of a tear. Why does that matter to you and to me? Because the first ingredient that we have to have in our life, if we want God's anointing, is submission. And submission is never pleasant. None of us get excited about submission. Sign me up for that. No, the process is almost always painful. But God doesn't ask you to submit to hurt you. He wants you to submit so he can bring what's in you out of you. He, he knows what you have inside of you, and he wants to bring the best out of you. In fact, myrrh, it's interesting because when we see it, its primarily use was for embalming. It was a burial spice. You think about that with submission. Submission is really about putting to death our way and our preferences and yielding to God's way. In my study, I discovered that myrrh, of all the ingredients listed and all the fragrance and spices listed in the Bible, myrrh is the very first fragrance spice listed in the Bible, starting in Genesis. It's also the very last fragrance and spice listed in Revelation. And that's because everything that God is going to do in your life begins and ends with your submission. Submission asks the question, not just is Jesus your savior, but is Jesus your Lord? If we want to attract God's anointing in our life, it's a question of obedience, submission, saying, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. If you're asking God, my answer is yes. It doesn't have to be big for me to be obedient and it doesn't have to be small for me to submit. God, I am submitted to your will. I'm submitted to your way. What you want is what I want. God, I'm obedient. The first ingredient in an anointed life is submission. The second ingredient, it tells us, is cinnamon. They said, take the best spices, because God wants your best and he wants to bring the best out of you. Take the best spices, half, 12 and a half pounds of myrrh. Then it says half that much, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon. Now the cinnamon in this day, it came from a tree that grew 30 to 40 feet tall. The interesting thing about this tree was a narrow tree. It grew straight up. It grew so straight that it didn't have any curve to it. it didn't have bends and curves. And the way they would make the cinnamon is they would take the bark of this tree that made it stand so straight. They would take the leaves that were at the very top 
And that's what they would use to make the cinnamon for this anointing oil. And what this is a picture of is integrity. Integrity, that's the second ingredient. You want God's anointing, you need integrity. It's how you stand. Do you stand tall? Do you stand upright? Do you stand straight or are you crooked? And when I'm talking about how you stand, I'm not talking about being self-righteous. I'm not talking about looking down on others. I'm not talking about being stuck up or uptight or conceited. No, I'm talking about standing in God's righteousness. If you stand in your own righteousness, you will fall. You might not have done things right, but you can stand in the righteousness that we all have in Jesus. But I'm also talking about when we say stand with integrity, that means you're gonna stand for truth. What does it mean to stand with integrity? That, that you're a person of your word. It means that you're a person of honor. It means that you can be trusted. Integrity means that you're not involved in gossip. You're not involved in slandering people. Not involved in running your mouth and tearing people down. Does that mean that you can never correct? No, if you stand for truth, you can correct because part of standing for truth is standing against lies. To stand upright, to stand with integrity is to stand on God's word, stand on his truth, stand on his promises, on what he has said. To stand upright also means you have to say no to some things that would otherwise weigh you down. Sometimes it means if you're gonna stand with integrity, it means saying, no, I'm, I'm not gonna go there. I'm, I'm not gonna watch that. I'm not gonna listen to that. I'm not gonna be entertained with that. I'm not even saying that that's a sin. I'm just saying you wanna stand upright. You wanna stand with integrity. You want the anointing in your life, you need submission, you need integrity, but you also need this third ingredient and it's given when he says, take the best spices, six and a quarter pounds of, the next one is fragrant cane, cane. Now some translations, if you're looking at this in your Bible, it might say calamus, it's calamus, not cannabis, that's a different plant, it's a different sermon, it says, says take some cane or some calamus. And uh, calamus, it's a, it's a sweet smelling reed that grows in marshes. What's interesting about calamus is as it would grow, it had a head on this reed that would fill with moisture, it would fill with oil. And as it would grow to maturity, this reed would begin to be hunched over because of the weight that was in the head of the reed. And that's important because they knew that this reed wasn't ready to be used until it was bent over like that. Well, what's that mean for you and me? It tells us that if we want an anointed life, we have to be willing to bend low in humility. You gotta be submitted, you gotta have integrity, but you also, if you wanna attract the anointing of God, you must have humility. In fact, I'm reminded of how Jesus modeled this. He bent low 
and washed the feet of his disciples. You think about this, Jesus is God, was God. Jesus, Philippians tells us, though he was God, took on the nature of a servant. And the same hands that washed his disciples' feet are the very same hands that made the universe. It's what Jesus modeled when he answered the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom? In other words, do you have ambition in your life? You want God to use you to do something great? You want God to do something significant through you? This is what it looks like. It starts with grabbing your basin, grabbing your towel and bending low to serve someone else with a heart of humility. You see, the anointing is not about your name. It's not about your fame. It's not about your popularity. God can use you in a great and significant way, but it's never about you. It's about serving others through you. You want God to use you? Are you bent low? Because you're not ready to be used by God until you are. It's this idea that serving is not beneath me. Here's a question for you. Can you do the job without the credit? Can you do the job without being recognized? Can you do it if no one ever recognizes you? What if it is only God who sees it and honors it and rewards it? Can you do it? Because that's the third ingredient. Submission, integrity, humility. Here's the fourth one. The fourth one, it says, is cassia. Cassia is interesting because there were lots of different types of cassia. They're said over 400 different types. This one in particular is referred to as cassia senna. Cassia senna was used for a lot of things, but the primary use of cassia senna is that it was a natural detox. It was an inner purifier. It, it would clean out your system, and that's because what God is looking for is purity. It's purity. If you want the anointing, you need to walk in purity. Every now and then, all of us need an inner cleansing. Every now and then, we need to go to God like the psalmist, David, who we read about, who said, search me, God. Search my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. Search me. Tell me, is there any wickedness in me? Cleanse me. All of us need to come to this point where we can go to God and say, God, search me, cleanse me, heal me. We need to bring those things to the altar. We need to bring those things to the cross. We need to bring those things to the Lord and say, God, search me and find that stuff. Clean me out, purify my heart. And you know, one of the interesting things I noticed about cassia is that if you wanted it to work, you want to be clean on the inside, that means you got to open your mouth. Here's what I realized. That same thing is true. If you want God to purify your heart, you got to open up your mouth. Too many of us, we are holding in our anxiety. We are holding in 
our shame. We are holding in our guilt. We're holding in our worries. We are holding in our sins. Scripture says you want to get clean, you want to be healed, you have to open your mouth. We confess our sins to God to be cleansed. We confess one to another to be healed. That's why the prayer time in this church, so valuable, so important, so powerful. Because when you come and you say, God, I I need help with this, it's an opportunity for you to say it to God. It's also an opportunity for you to, to share what you're carrying, what you're holding in with someone else. I need prayer for this. This thing is eating me up inside. This thing has me sick. I need some inner cleansing. See, when you, even at the very least, you just write that prayer request on your connection card. What does that do? Not only are you opening up and letting that out, but you're opening up and letting power come in. Power to cleanse you. Power to heal you. What I'm telling you is, if you want to walk in the anointing, purity matters. I don't know if you've ever done a detox before, but when you do a detox, you don't do that so you can go back and start eating French fries the next day. At least you shouldn't, okay? That's not what it's for. Some of you, that's how you use it. That's not what it's for. That's how you use confession and grace too, but that's not what it's for. The, the point is, when you do a detox, it's you say, I've been off course I've been doing some things that are unhealthy. I've been doing some stuff that's not right. And I need to get clean so I can get back on track. We, we need to get cleaned up on the outside, but we need to be cleansed on the inside. We need to be purified. So he said, if you want the anointing, I want you to take the myrrh. I want you to take the cinnamon. I want you to take the cane. I want you to take the cassia. But lastly, He said, I want you to get a jug of olive oil. And this last ingredient is going to surprise you because we think about these different things. Okay, God can't anoint me without submission. God can't anoint me without integrity. God can't anoint me without humility. God can't anoint me without purity. But when we get to this last ingredient, what we need to recognize is that the only way they got the oil from the olive was by crushing it. And that's why the last ingredient of an anointed life is brokenness, brokenness. I mentioned earlier, think about Mary Magdalene when she broke that jar in order to anoint Jesus' feet. A lot of us don't want brokenness, but let me explain what it is to you. There's two things you need to understand. First of all, pressure releases God's power. So don't try to escape pressure in your life. That's the very thing God wants to use to release his power in your life. In fact, the device they would use to extract the oil from the olive was called an olive press. They would take these fully ripe olives, which means they were mature, put them in this stone mill, and it would begin to be crushed by rolling another stone on top of it And it was in that breaking that the oil was released. So if you're in the middle of some pressure right now, recognize that's the opportunity for the oil of God, for the anointing to flow in your life. But that's not the only kind of brokenness that matters. I want to talk to you about another kind of brokenness because 
we read in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, that after David was anointed, the power of God came on him. But if you know David's story, he did not always and consistently walk in that anointing or that power. In fact, I would venture to say that David did some things that not a single person here has ever done. He had an affair, but then he murdered the husband of the woman he had an affair with. You read about this story, you can read about it in 1 Samuel, but you can also read about his response in Psalm 51. When David is confronted by a prophet, he begins to say, have mercy on me, God. God, I have sinned. In fact, it's interesting. What he says is I've sinned against you and you alone, which is surprising to me because I think, isn't there a lot of other people that you sinned against? But he was so aware of what he had done. He said, God, don't take your spirit from me. Don't take your anointing from me. Don't take your oil from me. You take all this other stuff. You take the kingdom. You take my possessions. You take all these other things that I've accumulated, other things that people might think are important. But don't take your anointing. Don't take your spirit from me. But he says something in there. I want to read it to you. It's in Psalm 51, verse 17. You should read the whole psalm today. He says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. See, the truth is when I say an ingredient for the anointing is brokenness, brokenness is another word for repentance. To us, we think of broken things as being despised, broken things as being worthless. But when you repent, you might have messed up. You might have got some, some stuff in your life that you're ashamed of. You, you might have felt, I'm broken. God can't use me. But when you repent, God can take what has been broken and remake it into something better. See, there's a blessing in the breaking. You think about it. God sent his son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus, who was without sin. And he caused him to be broken for a broken world, a broken humanity, that humanity might be restored. In fact, Jesus, the night before he died, he was with his disciples observing the Passover meal. He took the bread, broke it. And when he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He went to the cross, he went to Calvary, and it was through him being broken that you could be made whole. There's a blessing in the breaking. 